Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss Book 6, Chapters 1 through 3 in an episode entitled Ding Dong, The Ring is Gone. Welcome back! I am very welcome, and I'm very back. (laughs) I am Craig. He is... I am Ryan. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I am the opposite of hate you. Uh, Except when I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) This is the cause of uh, string cheese. Yeah, so we are full of we are full of mozzarella and uh, strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade and string cheese apparently has a chemical mixture that causes me to have a terrible French accent. (laughs) Oh, you're so weird. This is this this is true. (laughs) Me, we, 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 we. Oh, okay. Um, turns out we weren't ready for this after all, were we? Oh man, never are. Never am. Are. My English car grammar going to get great tonight. <laughs> um, Two Ryan, accents down, ten to go. <laughs> oh, man. I feel privileged to be here at this moment. Um, now, we are in book six. Holy crap. Yeah. Does it feel like a million years ago since book one, chapter one, Why, a yes. long expected party? Yes, as well, a matter of fact, it does feel like a million years ago. It's crazy. You know, when you say things like... Uh, like Bilbo's birthday party or the Council of Rivendell. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, these things are mind-bogglingly long ago. So last year. This is um, this is the slowest I have ever read this book. Mm-hmm. And I've read it in French. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I didn't speak great French. Um, anyway, but before we get into it, maybe we uh, do some trivia. Of course. Of course. Uh, okay, so are you ready for this? Ten right. questions. Focused everything I reviewed. I am ready. This is going to be my closest thing to a 10 for 10. Or not. Right. Okay. Well, here we go. Sam goes to rescue Frodo in the Tower of Kirith. Ungol. Yes. Would you have gotten Kirith if I would left it? Yes. Oh, okay, good. Oh, good job. And I would have said it right. Kirith, not Sirith. That's correct. Uh, okay, so one point. When he gets to the Tower... He finds that most of his work has been done for him. What work was that? Uh, the orcs have killed each other already. Yep. What is another name for Mount Doom? The Let's go for the elvish name here. The elvish name? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I totally spaced that it. That would I... be the orcish word for fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just read this and I was like, Olbereth or something. It does start with an O. It is Orodruin. 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 Gosh. Okay, so that's Orodruin. And the Dark Tower is called? Um, no idea. Baradur. Oh, I knew. I did yeah, know that. Yeah, you knew that. Um, when Shagrat uses the word Tark, what is he referring to? Um... <sighs> In in the story, or what is a Tark? Yeah, what what's a Tark? 
I'm not sure what a Tark is, but he's talking about Sam because only Tarks can get past the Keepers. Or it's elven magic. Right. So this was a trick one because there was an asterisk. It was a footnote, and you kind of had to go to the appendix to find out what it said. And so I was just seeing if you really did. Uh, The word Tark is short for Tarkil, which is an elvish word for one of Numenorean descent. Oh, so he's I did about see the Gondorians. The, I, I was reading this digitally. I did see the footnote, but but didn't it, go there. It wasn't linked, so uh, I'm well, lazy. You're still what's that? Two for five. Come on, man. So much for ten for ten. Uh, <laughs> Sam finds Frodo in the top of the tower, being whipped by an orc. What does Sam do to this orc? He cuts off the whip arm, and then the guy falls down and breaks his neck. Yeah, <laughs> very Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, now Sam goes to gather up some. Uh, clothes and armor and whatnot. What was the password that Sam comes up with to prove to Frodo that it's safe to open the trap door and let him in? Elbereth. Yeah. Elbereth. Wow. Good job. Okay. Uh, because an orc would not say Elbereth. Wow. Okay. Well, and an elf wouldn't say it like that. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, when Sam and Frodo turn south on the last march to Mount Doom, they get rid of the extra weight they're carrying. What was the hardest thing for Sam to discard? His pots and pans. Yes, indeed. It tore everybody's heart out a little bit when they read that. Um, how do Frodo and Sam escape the column of orcs that they've fallen in with? What allows them to do so? Um, I don't remember. I think they I think they start arguing and fighting, and so they just duck away. Uh, that would be the movie version, uh, but pretty close. They Their column of orcs collides with another column of bigger, meaner orcs, and in the confusion, they slip off. Uh, so you're at five out of nine. Here's number ten. Uh, when they escape, they don't go far, but they do fall asleep with thousands of orcs in the valley all around them. When they wake up, the orcs are gone. Where did they all go? They had all been summoned to the Black Gate. Yes, correct. Six out of ten. Give yourself a well. Give yourself a six out of ten. I will give. Uh, yeah, I will use six fingers to applaud myself. <laughs> Uh, do you want your bonus? Yes. Okay. Uh, on the side of the mountain, or Odruin, as we all know it is called now, mm-hmm. uh, there is a doorway to Samathnar, the Chambers of Fire. Now, which side of the mountain was that doorway on? Uh, well, <laughs> I got a If you 25%. don't know, you don't know. Yeah, that's true. You get a 25% chance. <laughs> Well, I guess it could be like the northeast corner or whatever. But um, no, I'm giving you I'm giving you a twenty five percent chance. All right. I'm going to say that it is on the south side. Incorrect. It is on the east side. Uh, and uh it's so it's facing Baradur, which is roughly to its east. Ah. Uh, so Maps. Facing old Blinky. Maps. Maps. I don't have a map. <laughs> uh so okay now i need to get to my other notes now um tell me how uh how did you enjoy this section now we are doing a much smaller section than we have over the last you know five or six podcasts it's only three chapters or so mm-hmm. extending a little bit into the fourth chapter but but how did you enjoy this uh this part of the frodo and sam adventure maybe versus the the uh, Grand Aragorn chapters, or even versus the previous Frodo and Sam chapters. I thoroughly enjoyed this culmination of the journey that Sam and Frodo were on. And the most... I'm really starting to believe more and more that 
Sam Sam is a bigger character to me than Frodo. Like mm-hmm. I get Frodo's the lead because he's got the ring and everything, but so much time is spent from Sam's perspective in these that that was actually one of my one of my questions was um, does it for you does it make this section more powerful, more interesting, more fill in the blank uh, that it's told from Sam's perspective? Well, I think I it, mean, how does that how does that uh, make the story different or better or worse for you? Well, there's a couple reasons why I believe it. First off, that it has to be from Sam's perspective mm-hmm. because a Frodo's unconscious or being tortured and beaten, and you can only read so many pages of that with nothing else happening that you get just bored or right. whatever um the other is is that at this point i think that as a reader we're so entrenched in in how sam and how much sam cares and in what he is that we'd be more interested in his approach to this anyway um one of my points actually that is um well i'll jump into one of my points already um there's multiple times in this where it references that the only thing that kept Sam going was his love for Frodo Mm -hmm. or something occurs and it sparks him, you know, when he hears the, he hears not, it's not Shagrat. It's that whips him. Uh, they didn't, they give him, they didn't name him. Uh, Shagrat calls him Snaga, which just means slave in Orcish. But so he hears him whip him once. And all of a sudden it says that, uh, you know, it lights, uh, a rage in Sam. And right. He flies up the ladder and cuts off the arm and everything and, and really gives credence to this whole elven warrior thing that they seem to think right. of him. Um, but for Frodo, every time it talks about Frodo, like, taking the ring and going further, it's always about duty. It's his responsibility. I've been given this task. I need to see it through. I need to do that. So Sam is motivated by love and, and, and caring and really wanting to make sure that his master's taken care of and, and finishes his journey, whereas Frodo, uh, whereas Frodo, who cares does care about Sam, but his motivation is all about duty. I've been given a task. I need to finish it. Right. And, yeah, I see what you're saying, but it sounds like what you're saying is that Sam has a better or purer motivation than Frodo, it, and, and I, I'm resisting that a little bit. You could you could infer from what I'm saying that, but that's not entirely true because in the in the grand scope of things, Frodo's mission to destroy the ring is pure like that is the most pure destroying this instrument of evil. Right. It's like the love for the world. And knowing and knowing full well as he does that it's it's going to cost him his life. I mean, he is expecting to give up at the end. Like, I'm going to sacrifice my life mm-hmm. to get this. There's just we don't have enough food, we don't have enough water, there's no way we're getting back out. So, you know, in that sense, I'm not saying that Sam's is more pure or anything. I'm saying that for us as a reader, we can associate easier with Sam's intentions of love Mm. and care, whatever, than Frodo's complete martyrdom. Yeah. And purpose driven, a purpose driven life would be a good book for Frodo to. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I just, I like the concept of, of duty and responsibility and, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that any of us would find ourselves in anything approaching a similar situation where we're asked to give up our life in, you know, in mm-hmm. pursuit of of uh, some deed. But, uh, but you know, there are echoes of something like that in our own lives, right? And, and I like this concept of, um, I gave my word, this is my duty, it's my responsibility, and mm-hmm. I'm going to see it through. And it may not be love, um, or, you know, or maybe it is, like I said, a, a more uh, worldwide 
kind of uh, expression of love. But um, but yeah, I think sometimes responsibility and and especially uh, the the word that you give, not the word that somebody makes you give, but like he mm-hmm. he came forward willingly. That should really hold us, you know. And it and it does hold Frodo because there are so many times when he wants to just stop, and he would rather roll over and starve to death, right? Mm-hmm. But he but he does get up and keep going, and it is that sense of duty. Kind of it harkens back to one of our old uh, podcasts, older um, when we talked about uh, you know how your word is your bond, and you know, wouldn't it be nice if that were still the case? Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the context of that one was, but uh, but anyway, you know, it kind of harkens back to that, and and that's how Frodo treats it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Sam, that's a lot nicer to think about. It's love of a specific person. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if I'd carry you up Mount Doom, but but I hope we never have to find out. Well, if if we ever come across the power-hungry world dictator that did, forges jewelry to take over the world, we <laughs> we'll start to get more concerned about this. <laughs> Last time I've seen Kim Jong Un had not created a bracelet of power. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, speaking of carrying people up a mountain, uh, you, every once in a while, actually pretty frequently nowadays. We compare the movies to the books, mm-hmm. and most of the time, I feel like the movie does a great job, but ultimately falls short, and this is one of those times where the movie just hit it so well mm-hmm. when Sam picks up Frodo and carries him up the mountain. First of all, because uh, you know, obviously you have Howard Shore's incredible music carrying you through, mm-hmm. and you know Sean Astin is giving the, the performance of a lifetime mm-hmm. with this stuff, you can't possibly have acted that any better. Yeah. Or any differently, for that matter. But, but, also, I'm just going to throw this out there. In the book, uh, Sam, quite literally, and it's it's described in detail, he piggybacks Frodo. Mm-hmm. Right? And I can, if that had been translated onto the screen exactly like that, it would have been a little more laughable. Mm-hmm. But instead, in the movie, he fireman carries him up the mountain, and it's so much more heroic and awesome. Right. Anyway, that I was as I was reading that, I thought, yeah, thanks, Pete. Was, <laughs> I appreciate that. You you made a good decision with your little <laughs> bit of creative there, but I don't know. Maybe that maybe that would be technically more difficult to drag. Elijah Wood on Sean Astin's back. <laughs> well, I hear Sean Astin's back was a bit more broad at that point in filming. Ah, so uh, what else you got? Well, actually, speaking of Sean Astin, um, thought it was interesting. Who was, we saw at FantasyCon. Mm-hmm. That was fun. We went to went with his panel and, and talk that uh, he was talking about it a bit. I think he was actually talking about having to wear the backpack with pots and pans and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got he, he went off on a tangent about. Uh, shooting the scene where the ring, where he gives the ring back oh, to yeah. Frodo. So I'm, I'm reading this section, and it says in there something very different than what is portrayed. And Sean actually talked about this. He's like, I did like you know eight or nine takes this way, and they finally just you know they they asked for you know would you, can you just do one take where you're kind of considering keeping it for yourself, and you know you know that's the one they ended up using. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, it specifically states that Sam, you know. He did not want to give you know that he did not want to give it back because of the burden it put on Frodo. There is an actual like the actual phrasing of the sentence right. says that, and I'm like that is a world of difference in 
in reasoning there is yeah there's there's i want to keep it for myself there's you know i i could just take care of this and whatever but it's i don't want to see you suffer when i hand this back to you and now that i've held it for a while i know what you're gonna go i, I know somewhat of what you're gonna go through yeah i really like that too it's um and it's not it's not just because of how much he loves frodo but it's because he like you said he did get to hold it and carry it for a while and he we are told about the temptation that is presented to him mm-hmm. where instead of uh you know military conquest or something it's like the conquest of a gardener yeah he wants to heal the world and turn the whole place into this lush green paradise right yeah and that's that's his own temptation so yeah it's so it's not just oh i love frodo so much i'd hate for him to have to take this back it's uh yeah i've been there and this sucks and i can't believe that you want me to give this back to you mm-hmm. you effing nut it's just a, this most of my points are centered around how much you know how much you come to love and appreciate sam that's just he's he is my favorite character in the series yeah it's uh it's kind of hard for him not to be somebody's favorite character uh well so then if yours are about sam mine are too so i'd better steal this before you do uh in the previous cast right previous cast was that the one where denethor burned himself i believe yeah so yeah anyway uh, we talked about despair and this idea of um, of Denethor succumbing to despair. And then we're presented with the exact same concept, you know, in a different way. There's no Palantir or anything, but but Sam is, uh, he is arguing with himself and he's presenting himself with everything that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And in and in the end, despair is sitting there right there waiting for him to accept it and succumb. And he doesn't. Mm-hmm. What he does, and he, what he doesn't do is the kind of um, unrealistic optimist thing where, oh no, I mean, everything will turn out okay. Yeah. We'll throw the ring in the fire and then we're just going to go home. But what he does is instead he says, no, uh, pretty much if we're going to see this through, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then he accepts that, and and that's okay. We're gonna die, and it's it's all gonna be worth it, right? It reminds me this uh, kind of bravery in the ho- uh, bravery in the face of despair. Uh, did you ever, do you know the the um, legend of Ragnarok? It's a North no. Norse myth. Uh, essentially, their their gods, the pantheon of Norse gods, are going to. Uh, in the, the end of the world is called Ragnarok. It's this huge battle between the good gods and the bad gods. And uh, mm-hmm. essentially the the prophecy or the myth is that the bad guys will win. Mm-hmm. But the good guys, in the face of that, they don't succumb to despair. And they don't uh, you know, give up all hope. They Well, I mean, maybe they do give up all hope as we kind of commonly understand the term but they keep fighting what galadriel would have called the long defeat Mm -hmm. and uh they they keep fighting because it's the right thing to do not because they know they're going to win not because they know everything's going to turn out okay Mm -hmm. but because they've made the choice to be on the right side of things and you know even even with death and defeat staring them in the face they do it anyway so that's and and of course this is the sort of thing because it's a norse deal 
this is the sort of thing that Tolkien would have had in the front of his mind mm-hmm. because of his studies, right? He knew this stuff like the back of his hand. So I I can't help but hear echoes of that when I read those paragraphs about Sam. So. Yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting how many times he actually went through and uh, he says, um, if it's my duty to lie down next to Frodo and, and die there, then so be it. I was thinking about this, actually. He reminds me a lot of the uh roman soldiers that of the time of the of the time period if you read uh things like antony and cleopatra mm. um uh, shakespeare's work there's a, a scene between uh, a general and his um it, it's a, a lesser officer I like can't, a centurion or something yeah i can't i can't remember i i did this i did it a few years ago um and the two are really good friends. And the officer, or Anthony, says to to the officer, he says, "Hey, um, I, I I'm done. I I can't live anymore. I need. I've got to fall on my sword. I've got to die. Um, and I need your help because apparently I can't find a place to stick the sword that'll <laughs> hold on. I, I need you to hold on to my sword while I run onto it." And um, his. So his uh, centurion companion says, you know, talks to him for a minute and says, no, no, you should, you know, live, continue, you know, push forward. You need to push forward or whatever. And in the end, um, he, uh, Anthony turns away and, and starts to, you know, give this little speech or whatever about, you know, I, this, this, why this has to be or whatever. And the centurion finally says, okay, then if this must be, then this must be. And then he turns around and he stabs himself before Anthony can get to him so that he doesn't have to kill him like out of just this. I know this is the opposite of Sam and Frodo. <laughs> and I also feel like this has been a really difficult story for you to tell. <laughs> it's, like, it's Come on, Shakespeare. man, spit it out. It's Shakespeare. It's hard to get. It's hard to get there sometimes. <laughs> but essentially the centurion companion turns around and stabs himself and kills himself before Anthony can. Um, and... When you read that, when you go through that story, you read those sort of stories. The absolute loyalty to death mm-hmm. that a lot of these characters have is, I, I find to be very interesting. And this is Sam carries that same loyalty, but it's not to the despair, like you're saying. It's not to that point of, well, okay, then let's just die. He's, you know, well, if I have to die, I'll die. But until we get to that point, I'm pushing forward. Right. That's where he's different than this long-winded centurion moment that I just had. <laughs> Cool story, Hansel. Thanks. <laughs> no, I, I like the point. I just uh, kept waiting for you to get to the end. And, I, I make you wait for the point. Work for it. Exactly. As a listener, you have to be there. <laughs> um, anyway, this this whole concept of uh, Sam and, and his despair uh, gives me one of my favorite paragraphs in this uh, this section, which is when uh, he says... No more dis- no more debates disturbed his mind. He knew all the arguments of despair and would not listen to them. And it's not a very flowery sentence. It's just very straightforward, and it really hooked me when I read that. I thought, yeah. that, is, uh, that is something to strive for. Yes, I agree. It's, I mean, how many times do we face... I don't necessarily know daily, but how many times do we face an issue or a moment in our lives where it's like, 
you can hear every argument against what you're doing everything and you have to argue it out in your head you spend the entire time yeah debating against yourself or arguing the points you know validating and eventually there comes a point you know where you can say you know what i'm done listening it doesn't matter i'm i'm going forward yeah and i think that would be the goal right and there's that great scene when sam is arguing with himself and he's and he does come to the conclusion where there there's no more argument to be had and so that was a few pages before this paragraph that i was just reading but the one that i was just reading it goes on he says his will was set and only death would break it Mm -hmm. um and i think this is something that i'm susceptible to and i think a lot of people are uh, and that's the continuation of the debate i think a lot of times i and and maybe uh, lots of other people too have a hard time coming to a conclusion Mm -hmm. and then sticking to that we endlessly argue about what's right and what's wrong uh you know and at a certain point you're not there you you can't get anything done if you haven't made a decision about what the right thing to do is right Mm -hmm. so it's almost like whether or not it's the right choice make a choice and go with it yeah you know what i mean well i think that's yeah here's a little life coaching from the legendary podcast for you well i i need it so it's from us to me i have found multiple on multiple occasions and the the hypocrisy of me saying this is very very high and very very thick um that like bana (laughs) once you make a decision People concern, are very concerned about making the right decision. Is this the right decision or whatever? Until you have made the decision, you progress down the path, you will you will know once that once that journey has once you've begun that journey, once you go down the path, because I have found most of the time for me in my life that once I have made the decision, I start working towards it. If it's what if it's the right decision, pathways open up or it, it, you start to see, you start to see things appear. The, fruit, the fruits of your decisions. Yeah. Whereas if it's the wrong decision, a lot of times, you know, I'm probably going to be backtracking a little bit, but I find myself very quickly just stopped, just very damned right in there in, in my in my position. So, right. Um, that's not to say it happens every time, but, but generally yeah, in life, can... make the decision, start down the pro- start down the path, trust yourself. To recognize whether it's yeah. things are working out or not. Yeah. You're not, there's no sign on the road that's going to be like, this is the right decision. Congratulations. Keep going. <laughs> but you'll 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 know. You'll recognize it. Yeah. Sometimes there is. But not very often. All yeah. right. Uh, I think that was the end of my point. You want to do another one? Yes. So bad. So bad it hurts. A little bit in the kidneys. Um, so. I have a whole gallon of cranberry juice at home. <laughs> if you need. I've had kidney stones before. It's oh, really? Yeah. I am not looking forward to that phase of my life. <laughs> I hope it never comes. Miserable experience. Yeah. But there is a phrase. They're talking about water at first. And Sam says something. Water, water. Was that the phrase? No. Take it. Sam says something to Frodo along the lines of, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't know anything grew here. I, I can't. You know, do orcs eat and drink, or do they just oh, survive yeah. off of foul air and, and, and poison? And poison. And Frodo's response is one of my favorite discussions of evil I've ever, I've ever read. Here, he says, 
No, they eat and drink, Sam. The shadow that bred them can only mock, it cannot make. Not real new things of its own. I don't think it gave life to the orcs, it only ruined them and twisted them, and if they are to live at all, they have to live like other living creatures. Foul waters and foul meats they'll take, if they can get no better, but not poison. They've fed me, and so I'm better off than you. There must be food and water somewhere in this place. So in this question about, is there water here, is there food and water here for us to find, to, to take, Frodo lays out, essentially, the limitations of evil. The limitations of shadow. He says, oh, you want water? By the way, of course there's got to be water. Shadow can't create. It has to live yeah, by the rules so it's, and it's everything It's almost else. like... Um, uh, in discussions about um, extraterrestrial life, you're like, well, the way we conceive of life, it's almost always we think of it as carbon-based life forms mm-hmm. who exist in some something like the way that we do. But, you know, people would be fond of saying, oh, it could be anything, right? But anyway, so to your point, though, it's it's like this is a familiar life form mm-hmm. because they're the product of evil. Uh, but the product of evil doesn't mean that it was created by evil. It means it was it has to twisted ab- by evil. I, I just made a really weird point. I don't <laughs> know if that made any sense, but it was bizarre. It's essentially saying here that in the end, the shadow, the evil, everything, has to abide by the limitations of creation that were imposed by the higher creative power um, by... Iru. Yeah, Iru. That's good. Iru, yeah. 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 It says that you it can't play by its own rules. We always we, we hear that a lot in in movies or evil, you know, that they're, they're playing by their own rules. Well, There's no such thing. The fact is is to a certain extent you are always bound by the rules of the highest power that exists there. And you know, it's interesting that you say that cuz it makes me think um you know it's easy to say that in a discussion about God but you don't have to be talking about God. Not at Even all. if you're an atheist and you believe, um, you know, that there's no such thing as God and it all boils down to uh, science and physics and evolution and all that. Like, even then, you're still playing by the rules of a power far greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that you can get outside of that. Yeah, you are still bound. I mean, as humans, we defy laws of physics all the time, but we can't break them. Right. We fly in giant metal tubes in the air. But the fact is, gravity's pulling the whole time, and at a certain point, yeah, our what, fuel what, runs what out. must come down. It will come down. Yeah. You know, we, we are bound by the laws of the, of whatever the higher power. You know, if you are if you believe it's just the universe as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. all the laws of physics and everything, so be it. If you believe it that it's a, a god that has created it all and, and guides it, then you're bound by those laws. Right. So, so yeah, it's interesting. But, uh, but then you get into a discussion... If it is a discussion about God and Tolkien, for Tolkien, that absolutely would have been. Mm-hmm. And God may or may not be bound by those rules. I don't know. That's that. that we're we're wow. opening up a huge philosophy yeah. discussion. But, there. So anyway, I, yeah, I don't necessarily want to go too far down that road. But let's just say, for the the sake of this point, that God is not bound by these rules that we are. Um. In the story, in Tolkien, it, it in just, no, in, no, in real life, like if if God exists, then in in this point that I'm making, let's just say he's not bound by any of these rules that we recognize. He can create, he can make something of nothing, he can, you know, whatever, defy all of these laws that we see around us. We 
cannot. And Tolkien, the whole reason that he wrote this story and other stories, the whole reason that he um, that he created this world was to subcreate. He called it subcreating, and the whole point was to try to mimic what God was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that uh, this concept that even if God could break all of those rules, Tolkien could not. In his wildest imagination, and and I would submit that he had one of the most imaginative minds ever, mm-hmm. uh, in his wildest imagination, he could not conceive uh, of life forms that were out of bounds. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Whether I agree with it at all or yeah, not is I don't a whole know. other I, point. I'm, but... I'm happy to debate that point, but the, you know, the thought occurs to me. And... Um, People, I guess, you know, you get into like H.P. Lovecraft and he conceives of some pretty weird stuff, but but he never really is able to explain those creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, if you try to come up with beings or creatures that are outside of of the bounds that we have, then, then you run into real trouble trying to explain them. And Tolkien didn't ever, he it wasn't his goal to come up with super weird stuff or, you know, stuff that was beyond our imagination. The whole point for him was to give us a concept that we could recognize and thus could project our ideas of, you know, good and evil or love and loyalty Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever else. So the orcs fit that bill pretty nicely. Okay. I have no idea what we were just talking about for the last five minutes. (laughs) I really don't. We took a really long pathway Uh. around, but... The original point was the shadow cannot create of its own. It yeah. has limitations. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I really like that as well. Um, so, do you remember in the last cast, or might have been two ago, when the uh, black rider, the well, the the witch king rides through the gates in Minas Tirith, and we talked about the uh, monosyllables that he uses. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, what does he say? Do you not know death when you see it? And it's so great. Mm-hmm. There was another moment, and doggone it, now i got to find it again. Um, when we get some monosyllables. Uh, doggone it, I didn't even highlight it. Hang on. <laughs> I totally got this. Um, Oh, that's right. At the very, very end, the last words of chapter three, after the ring has been destroyed, um, they even made a song out of it, and it was really nice, but it didn't make it onto the soundtrack or anything. Um, Ding dong, the ring is gone, the ring is gone, the ring is gone, it burned (laughs) up. (laughs) Uh, Okay, there it is. Um, Let's see, now all is over. Frodo says... I am glad you are here with me, here at the end of all things, Sam. Ugh. And it's, it. so these monosyllables, the reason, it, it's not because they're monosyllables, but these short words tend to be very simple, direct, and very easily understood. You never have to pause uh, and try to figure out what he's saying. The sentence structure tends to be very, very simple. And so, like you know, like I said, it's not because they're monosyllables, but it's because of what those words are able to do. Uh, as you're reading them, it just made it so nice. It adds to the power of the beautiful words. It it really does. So I'm glad you are here with me here at the end of all things, Sam. He's gonna uh, have to eat those words later, though. Hey, I, spoiler alert! Uh, 
But it's it's true. I mean, Sam could turn to him at some point in time and be like, "Hey, remember when you said that you were glad I was there because at the end of all things, <laughs> well, obviously, sucker, it's, it's not the end of all things." And uh, yeah, you owe me some pots and pans. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was the end of that point. <laughs> I'm happy. Thanks to, for killing. I'm happy one. to take all the the uh, gravitas out of that point. Yeah, you suck. All right, twinkle, twinkle, little star. This is my next point. Stars. It is stars, actually. Yay! So i I was getting, I was trying to anticipate some of your trivia, and there was a, a couple moments. I am unanticipatable. Sure, um, but there was a moment before, and in anticipation of what I thought was going to be a question, I was reading up when they're trying to get past the keepers, and oh yeah, that, that was a great scene, and, wasn't it? Oh, I, I love that, and I, I really am kind of sad that that never made it into filming, but. Um, when he's holding up there and he's trying to break the will of the keepers, um, and he he cries out, uh, uh, and I had it, I memorized it just so I'd be able to answer it as a trivia. It's oh, Elber- <laughs> uh, uh, Elbereth Githonian. Yes, that. And then Frodo continues with, "I uh, this." And I went through. And I'm like, "Okay, I should find out what they're going, what they're saying, because I have a feeling." Aya Elenion and Kalima. Kalima, Kalima, Kalima. I don't know. I so, can't remember what he said. <laughs> I was just, I was so certain that that was going to be part of a trivia question that I went back and I'm like, okay, let's go read up on this a little bit and find out about, you know, who is Elbereth and oh, good, good homework. Excellent. So I was looking all that up, everything, and I kind of read that story, and then I was like, okay, that's great, and I moved on, and we have yet another moment where stars, where the stars bring hope, or they free a moment, or they free. Uh, Sam and Frodo or whatever or we see a little bit of a perhaps a divine hand we talked about this a couple uh, a little while ago of those moments the wind changing direction moments here um, and it says here uh, the land seemed full of creaking and cracking and sly noises but there was no sound of voice or of foot far above the Efelduath in the west the night sky was dim and pale there peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor uh, dark tour high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart, and he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him, for like a shaft clear and cold the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And it's, um, you know... This would be a concept that I think would be fairly applicable to real life. Um, anybody who's ever struggled with depression mm-hmm. at at any age, you know, I, I can remember for me it was like junior high. Dark times. Mm-hmm. And I mean dark. Junior high is hard for everybody. Let's get real. But we're talking dark. Um, but every once in a while, no matter how bad things are, if you look for it, and if you want it, you can find those little pinpricks of starlight mm-hmm. that shine through. You really can. They're always there. It's just a matter of, you know, looking up from the ground and, and finding it. If I, if anyone, if any of our listeners or whatever has had the experience, it is a, a mind-altering moment if you get on a flight and it is all clouds and storm and you break through the top of the cloud barrier 
up to the top above and you can see down and you can see above and you go you realize what you just came from to what's above you there I mean, when we're when we're on the ground, we're so much entrapsulated. Uh, wow, that's <laughs> that a great word there. I'm making up words. You're entrapsulated inside this existence. Like whatever's the clouds down is 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 existence. That's what's happening. But you realize that above that, you know, when you have this opportunity to fly and you go through that and you go above it and you see the beauty above you and you see the tone, you know, the tumult beneath you. You're like, there's just this moment of perspective. You're like, wow. There is always something higher and, and, and beautiful above what's going on there. And sometimes right. you just got to ride through it to get there. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and uh, so you take this concept, uh, going back to Sam's experience, where he looks up and he sees that one little pinprick of starlight mm-hmm. that's shining through. Well, it doesn't last, does it? No. I mean, the clouds come back over. But the concept that he took from it is a good one, which is that... Uh, you know, you, you take what you can, you get the joy that you can and the beauty that you can find, but then understand that those clouds are going to come back. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end because those clouds are moving and and you're moving, you know, well, presumably, hopefully. Yeah. And eventually things will get better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Somewhere out there. <laughs> you better back up, man. <laughs> I've got pretty long legs. I can kick you in the face. <laughs> um, worth it. Worth. Yeah. Well, I don't know. depends on who you ask. Um, so, speaking of things that are beautiful, can I just mention something that sounds hideous? Why, certainly. And and when I say hideous, I don't mean not awesome. Because they are awesome. And it's the Watchers that we mentioned a few minutes ago. Three-headed vulture-like Yeah, creatures. okay. I just want to read this. They were like great, great figures seated upon thrones, these two Watchers. Each had three joined bodies and three heads facing outward and inward and across the gateway. The heads had vulture faces and on their great knees were laid claw-like hands. Um, oh, and then there was, there was a great moment... Um, uh, uh, when he whips out the file of Galadriel and he walks through their barrier, um, for a moment Sam caught a glitter in the black stones of their eyes, the very malice of which made him quail. Um, and so this idea of these statues that, you know, maybe they have like some kind of gem in their eyes that, you know, makes them glitter. Mm-hmm. But I just thought these were the coolest sounding little sentries sitting on the in in front of this tower of Kirthungal. Oh man, it it's in a book full of great imagery. This has got to be in my like my top 10 mm-hmm. coolest images, like things that I want to decorate the front of my house just to just scare to the that. crap out of kids on Halloween, you know. That would be fantastic. You could put a no solicitor sign and then two watchers right there and if they're if they're fans of of the Lord of the Rings, they'll know to not come. They're not allowed to come in there without a file from, you know, yeah, well, Galadriel. Yeah. If you can come to my door with a file of Galadriel, I will buy whatever vacuum you're selling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, what else you got? I want to talk for a moment about prophecy and the beautiful imagery that we get. Um, at the steps of Mount Doom, we have the revisiting of Gollum to the story he comes back in mm. full force and he uh he kind of attacks frodo and kind of 
Kind of. He kind of attacks. Yeah, I'm just going to say kind of. Whatever. You know, we'll we'll talk about a real attack later. But I loved it here. It says, Then suddenly, as before, under the the eaves of the Emmanuel, Sam saw these two rivals with other vision, a crouching shape, scarcely more than a shadow of a living thing, a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, yet filled with a hideous lust and rage, and before it stood stern, untouchable now... Uh, stern, untouchable now by pity, a figure robed in white, but at its breast it held a wheel of fire. Out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice, Be gone and trouble me no more. If you ever touch me again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. Foreshadow! <laughs> I love it. It's like, that's a beautiful moment there. Just, just great imagery of just, just this little Can insect. you say foreshadow again? foreshadow thank you okay i needed that um but it's a beautiful imagery there too of the moment before um and and uh, you know for a little bit i kind of joked about it as the before and after weight loss photos of the ring you know you have frodo this figure in white with a wheel of flame and fire and everything there and then you have Gollum. this just shadow is nothingness yeah of, yeah that's there and the the commanding voice it, it speaks also highly I believe to the um, the individual characters, and we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. You know how they came to the ring and sure, everything. Sure. You know, but I just this beautiful imagery, and then for um, Frodo to to basically just I don't know if he uses the power of the ring about it or whatever, but just basically prophesies and says, "Hey, touch me again, you're gonna burn." Right, and then and then he happens. and then he does, yeah, <laughs> and then he does. Um, it also, I wonder if it speaks to what each of them, not only how they started their relationship with the ring, but how they want that relationship to end. Because mm-hmm. in the end, Frodo does claim the ring, right? And in the end, Gollum absolutely would claim the ring. Right. And what do they want to do with it? Well, Gollum wants to go hide in a cave and pet the ring for all eternity, right? <laughs> That's what he wants to do. Yeah. Frodo, I wonder, and we're never told exactly what's going on in Frodo's head, but this gives us a glimpse that maybe when he claims the ring, he says, the ring is mine. It's for other purposes. And I wonder if it's for what he thinks might be more noble purposes, because mm-hmm. he he envisions himself and projects himself as this figure in white. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but but a, a figure of immense power, and so that's how Mini Sam sees. <laughs> that's how Sam sees him. But yeah, uh, so I wonder if that's giving us a glimpse into what he wants to do with the ring mm-hmm. when he claims it. Get all dressed in white with a wheel of fire and run around with Gandalf forever. Love <laughs> is a burning ring. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few other things that are burning ring. Um, Hemorrhoids. <laughs> Spicy chicken sandwiches. Um, <laughs> I want to, I'm going to jump a little bit out of order and I'm going to tell you the one thing. This is probably one of the most anticlimactic endings of a major piece I've ever read. Really? Like, I'm not talking about the story as a whole. I'm talking about the actual moment the ring is destroyed. How is it destroyed? <sighs> I'm not talking about the bite. All that's great. All that's yeah, epic. Yeah. I'm talking about Gollum has it and goes, ooh, pretty, steps back and falls off. Right. Really? Frodo, you know, have Frodo shove him something, but he just steps back, falls off. It's like, oh, you know, if Gollum would have not reveled in his victory for a moment or paid attention to where he was stepping, 
the ring might still exist. I was like, that's right. really anticlimactic. They just kind of fell over and in. Like, have Sam run and shoulder check him in there. You know, that would be great. <laughs> Hockey check, Gollum. It's like, you sneaker up. Thanks for the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> this is excellent radio. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't have some sort of well thought out, uh, ample defense of this ending. Um, I can only say that I really like it, and it's not necessarily because it's because Gollum falling into the into the fire is so. Uh, exciting but it's I think it's because it points back and makes you consider all of the things that have led up and all of the choices that have led up to Gollum having the ring at that moment Mm -hmm. you know it's um, so yeah it's not it it would be a lot more exciting if if uh, Sam had whipped out Sting and like lopped his head off and kicked his body into the fire right like that would have been very very George R.R. Martin but Anyway, my point is just, yes, you're right. This wasn't as, quote-unquote, exciting. Uh, but, like I said, it, it pulls you back. It, it makes you go back to not just even the, the Lord of the Rings. It makes you go all the way back to The Hobbit, and you think, oh, my gosh, choice after choice after choice has led to exactly this moment. And it also makes you consider um, the whole concept of, you, you want to talk about prophecy. It you know makes you think of, what is uh, what is prophecy? What is free will in this world? Uh, was everything predestined to come to this point? Mm-hmm. You know, it could it have happened any other way? You know, uh, so questions like that that get brought up that couldn't be brought up uh, as powerfully, certainly in any other way. Yeah, I I I, I don't want it to sound like I think this is a bad ending. Yeah. It was just, it's just anticlimactic because I agree. I don't think it could actually occur any other way without, without ruining without the ring the story. or, yeah. Because if, you know, let's say, you know, I, I, I joked about it, but let's say Sam does run and shoulder check him in or, or stink, you know, cuts him, you know, cuts up to this point, Sam has only attacked and fought. And I don't even, I can't even really think of kill when he's killed someone, you know, Sam has only fought as a defense or or to protect Frodo in that moment. And at this moment, if he lashes out in anger, it totally defeats his character and everything that's up there. It guts Sam and it would, yeah, it might ruin the ring. And if Frodo, you know, kicks him into the fire or whatever, the problem is that Frodo still wants the ring and that would be destroying the ring and it goes against that. So in, in the situation you're playing out, you can't sully Sam, you can't ruin, you can't, you know, have Frodo turn on, what he's just decided to keep the ring. So the only option is Gollum has to be the one that, that destroys the ring, and it has to be an accident because there's no way he's going to do it on purpose. Right. So it is is it is the most fitting end. It is correct, and it does go back and, and, and hit all those points. It's just one of those things I'm like, really? He just <laughs> fell in? Isn't it great also that, um, you know, you can you can kind of feel, again, if you're going back and, and remembering all of these past episodes, you know that the ring is trying very hard at this point to not get thrown in the fire, uh-huh. right? And so it's not only working on Frodo saying, you've got to hang on to me, but also Gollum, mm-hmm. uh, you know, indirectly saying, hey, come take this guy out. He might throw me in the fire, right? And and it's its own 
design is its own undoing. Yeah, that is true. I think it would be quite interesting to actually hear the ring's thoughts. You know, hear the rings. It's in, oh, oh no! Ah! <laughs> Can I just say, um, speaking of this ending, uh, now reasons that it fell in aside, I love when it actually does fall in this. It, this episode of the eruption, the volcano eruption. Mm -hmm. And it's a very cool exercise, I think, in how do you describe something as big and violent as the eruption of a volcano without ever using the words eruption or volcano or Uh lava, you know? (laughs) Uh, And it's so cool. It's this, uh, it's the story of, um, of, high fantasy and great deeds and swords and sorcery and towers and all this stuff and that's the language that he somehow i don't know alchemically uh use that's how he he like forges this description of uh of the explosion of this volcano the Mm -hmm. ring goes in and the world just rips apart in front of frodo and sam Mm-hmm. And the way that he described it was absolutely amazing. You know, he talks about this, the um, the explosion of ash and how it turned into all these towers and parapets and whatnot. And you get this glimpse of it for just a second and then the whole world comes crashing down and this cloud of ash just falls down on top of Frodo and Sam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. Um Hopefully anybody listening has already read it or is about to. And, you know, this is not, this is not creative writing 101. Mm-hmm. This is the, uh, the master class yeah. in how to describe something like this. So good. So good. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of took the, I took a little different route in thinking of uh, when it gets to that point and the ring's actually in the, in the fire. Because my thought process is... The ring hits the, you know, the ring hits the lava, it's destroyed. You know, why would the lava, why would the volcano explode? Why would, you know, why does anyone care? Why? So my thought process is here saying, you know, if I threw a just normal ring into a volcano, no one's going to care. <laughs> right. You know, but if you throw the most evil incarnation. You have, you throw this, this, this thing that is so imbued with hatred and power and lust and everything there. You, you throw that in there. And it becomes like a, um, you know, this natural like, volcano is just so sickened by it or whatever. And right. It just starts to... Like tortured. Yeah. You know, it's... it's <laughs> You're just full of wonderful sound effects today. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it today, you know. <laughs> but I, I was just interested, you know, of all the things that got thrown in the volcano, why, you know, what is it about the ring that makes the earth go crazy? Why is, yeah. why does the, the destruction of this oh, evil that yeah. makes everything Oh my go? gosh. So, um, oh, at what point was it where somebody says Sauron, he doesn't just, he's not just the bane of the free peoples of Middle Earth, but he tortures the land itself. Yeah. Right. The land, it can't take his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, so this ring, which is his will, his embodiment, you know, like where he poured, uh, all of his power and hate and everything into that is thrown into the earth. And what does the earth do? It freaks the 
out mm-hmm. you know anyway <laughs> yeah it was really i i really like that section there have been a rec- there's been a recurring theme of of the earth taking back what has been mm-hmm. what sauron has done to it and destroying it so yeah uh, well um a fitting end to the ring i i thought I thought it was a, an excellent way to end the story. And I've always liked these three chapters um, in the whole book. They're, they're some of my favorite. You know, I've had many favorites coming up to this point. But something about the culmination of, uh, like we mentioned, all these concepts and all these choices and all of these uh, these people and personalities and everything brought together... Uh, into this this one moment uh, when not not just the moment itself when the ring is destroyed but when Frodo and Sam finally get to Mordor and, and have to cross it I think it's very very well done and uh, anyway maybe we better leave it at that we're coming up on an hour I thought we were going to do 35 minutes I always do I'm like we don't have enough material we're not going to go an hour that would be crazy but we always do Somehow, so, it, was there? But was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we sign off? I don't think so. Nothing that would merit a, a decent discussion. Are there any other sound effects I need to do before we end the <laughs> podcast? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Because the eagles are coming, and that's the last thing I want to hear you do. Uh, don't, don't do it. I can see you straining. Um, yeah, let's sign off now. Welcome to the Hotel California. What? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, that was An Eagles so impression, bad. ladies and it gentlemen. So You're bad. welcome. <laughs> oh, no. Um, there's not enough editing in the world that could get rid of that from my brain. Oh, we just need to cut the cut our losses and cut this short. Yeah, right well, now. okay. So let's let's get out. But it, now I do want to just point out that the next episode that we do, Ryan, that is the last book club episode that we're doing for the Lord of the Rings. I'm sure it's not the last Lord of the Rings episode or you know podcast that we're do, we're going right. to do. But but prepare yourself because we're finishing up the Lord of the Rings. This is uh, this is a big deal. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to take it very seriously. Very, very seriously. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want to throw this out there and see what you think, and maybe this is a teaser. Um, we recorded, before we started this, this is way back, we recorded a an episode of a different podcast uh-huh. where we talked about The Hobbit. Yes. And I'm thinking that maybe we dig that out and release it after that as oh, some bonus so? material. The, we did a movie cast, right? Yeah, was, we reviewed uh, the the Hobbit reviewed of Desolation the of Smog. Um, okay, th- think about maybe that. throwing that out as some bonus material. Oh gosh. just to just to get you all excited for. Thing is, I I do feel like we're let's be honest, we're not exactly professionals at this. But I think we're better at this now than when we started the Lord of the Rings. Oh, and uh, and we started the Lord of the Rings way better than we did that podcast. So it will be it would be an experience for our, for our <laughs> listeners. So it's like a blooper reel. <laughs> All right, well we've rambled enough. Uh, get ready for the end of the Lord of the Rings. It's going to be excellent. And if all goes according to plan, uh, we will have a wonderful special guest uh, to bring in for that episode. Sweet, sweet. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.